You're listening to Wholesaling Inc. episode number 1308. So you have to get comfortable with failing or not waiting to have perfect information before you start, just diving in and knowing that you're going to do it wrong, but realizing that that's just part of the process. It's a stepping stone, right? It's like you go fishing and that lure doesn't work. That bait doesn't work. This pond doesn't work, whatever, but you got to try it. And you're like, okay, they're biting on this. I need to go this route or my equipment's not right. I need to get something different, right? And that's just how life works. You have to just ebb and flow with the punches and keep moving forward. This is game-changing information guaranteed to raise your real estate wholesaling business with actionable steps you can take immediately to navigate the ins and outs of wholesaling and start making money today. Join us as we put our guests in the hot seat and dive deep to dissect their strategies for success to enable you to duplicate their results. You're listening to Wholesaling Inc., the only show dedicated to making you a fortune in wholesaling. Imagine it's 2008, you have your dream job, and then you get a notice that says you no longer have that job anymore because the company is filing bankruptcy. So with grit and determination and the support of your loving wife, you decide to start flipping houses and you stay focused and you really learn to understand what it takes to build a real real estate business. And today in 2023, you decide you're going to buy 104 acres in East Texas, in the Pine Curtain. You're going to build a 5,500-square-foot luxury farmhouse. You're going to have a huge barn that fits all your toys. You are a general partner in $150 million worth of apartments. You've flipped 400 houses. You've wholesaled 100 other houses. You've got incredible businesses. That is the story of the incredible real estate entrepreneur that I'm going to have on the Wholesaling Inc. podcast today. I am your host, Brent Daniels, Mr. TTP, and from Dallas, Texas, I want to introduce Mike Hambright to the Rhino Tribe. Mike, say hello to everybody. What's up, guys? Hey, dude, I need to hire you as like uh, my PR guy. Well, th- <laughs> this is your life. I mean, this is your resume. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. You know, I think a lot of us have... Uh, a lot of people with amazing stories, it doesn't sound very, it's not very sexy ultimately, right? So unless you introduce it, it sounds sexy, but you know, we've all been through a lot of uh, crap, right? You got to have a lot of, as I say, a lot of arrow wounds and and scars in your back to be in the business for, you know, any length of time, right? Well, and I love this, Mike, because you've been in this business 15 years. You've seen the bottom of the market, you've seen the top of the market, you've seen the market flattening out, you've seen interest rates being at historic lows, you've seen them creep back up now to where they're at currently. How do you build a long-lasting real estate business? How How do you make sure that the efforts that you're putting in today pays dividends down the road? You know, I'm still figuring that out, right? I think it's a journey, right? It's not like this, uh, you just figure it out and everything works forever because you got to keep pivoting. And I think what it is, is a commitment to being okay with failing and figuring out how to pivot and move. I mean, that's how all entrepreneurship is. And I think, uh, you know, a lot of folks look at you or look at me and think you make it look easy and they don't know the whole story, right? I mean, obviously that's some of what we're talking about today, but I think that, you know, in this time, and I see I have a 16 year old son. I don't know if you're seeing this with your kids yet. Like there's such a 
feeling of uh, needing immediate gratification in today's society. And I'm guilty of it too. Like I literally, I'm, I think I'm literally one of Amazon's biggest customers. Like I'm constantly just like, oh yeah, that's sort of that. You know, my wife's like, what the hell? It's like Christmas every day here. But you know, that just is what it is. But I think people want to take a pill and drop 50 pounds. They want to get online and order something and see immediate gratification. And for the things that are important in your life, health, wealth, your relationships with your family and friends, you got to play the long game. At the end of the day, like there's nothing you could go do right now and see it happen immediately. And a lot of folks just give up quickly. And so you have to get comfortable with failing or not waiting to have perfect information before you start, just diving in and knowing that you're going to do it wrong, but realizing that that's just part of the process. It's a stepping stone, right? It's like you go fishing and that lure doesn't work. That bait doesn't work. This pond doesn't work, whatever, but you got to try it. And you like, okay, they're biting on this. I need to go this route or my equipment's not right. I need to get something different, right? And that's just how life works. You have to just ebb and flow with the punches and keep moving forward. Yeah, we call it massive imperfect action, right? Yeah. Just going out there and yep. trying to provide as much value as possible. And in our business, we find discounted properties, right? That's all wholesaling is, the art of finding discounted properties. And so it's just having conversations and making offers conversations and making yeah. offers and really just building the momentum. You did 65 flips your first year. I want to dig into that, right? Because that seems crazy. That seems wild. This is 2008. While everybody is running out of real estate, your wife are running into real estate doing 65 flips. How yeah. does that happen? I, I think, like I've said in the past that my wife and I both went to college. She used to actually be an investment banker on Wall Street. Like My wife is like super smart. And then we met in grad school. We have an MBA from a top program, University of Texas in Austin, which is where we met at. Um, so we have all this education, right? And I've kind of said over the years that I don't, clearly we know a lot of people that didn't go to college at all and are millionaires, very successful people, right? So it's not necessary. And I find myself thinking about that all the time with my son. He's 16 and we're talking about, you know, if we can afford him to go anywhere he wants to college, if, if it makes sense. But I even tell him, like, if you don't want to go, there's other ways there. Like you don't have to go. And 10 years ago, I would have said like, my son's going to college, you know, but the reason I'm telling you that is I used to kind of be little, like I didn't need my corporate background, but the reality is, is I think it's helped us a lot in hindsight because we understand, um, even if you're a small wholesaler, you still need the structure of a fortune 500 company. You still have marketing and sales. You have operations of some sort. You have fulfillment of some sort. Like you still need that same org chart. It just happens to be that your name is on every box on the org chart, right? And that's not the goal. But I think a lot of people don't really think like a bigger company. And I think the idea of just going all in, like seeing opportunities and gaps in the market when you're going to go all in, which is what we did in 2008, we learned pretty quickly that we needed to have systems and processes and stuff set up. I mean, we literally started before we even started our business, we rented an office, we hired an admin, and we just we knew enough to know that we have to invest in ourselves. Otherwise, this is going to be a job. And I'm not saying that it hasn't been a job a lot for over the past 15 years, but we've always kind of known that that's not the goal. So if I have to go work hard and hustle in one area right now, I'm doing that until, until I can fill that seat or fill that gap, right? But I, I think we even saw at the time, because we were in a network of other some other real estate investors in Dallas, that a bunch of them were pulling back on investing. And some of the problems were they didn't have access to capital or they lost it. Because at the time, a lot of lenders went away. Like yeah. in this 
cycle of the market, there are tons of national hard money lenders and they're not pulling back. Like they've raised their rates, but back then, like national hard money lender lending wasn't as much of a thing as it is now. They were like local guys that were doing it in your market. They would come to the RIA club. And a lot of those folks, you know, just pulled out. They were just out of business or stopped lending. So capital went away for a lot of real estate investors. And the other big thing was they got stuck with a lot of inventory that they had overpaid for. So the market's coming down. They overpaid for stuff. They're licking their wounds, pulled back on marketing. And I'm not saying that we said it with this much clarity, but we kind of knew our competition is going away. They have a bunch of baggage. They've got bad inventory or they were used to overpaying or whatever they had to do from 2006, 2008. And there's more people than ever that are trying to sell right now. Like we, we saw our lead costs just like plummeting down and we're like, let's just, you know, grab some market share. So I literally remember we were, we were spending for a few, you know, the first several months we were spending like 5k a month and we just made the decision, let's go up to 20 and see what happens. And we just levered it up. And like, we were just off to the races, you know, 20k in marketing. A month, yeah. So, I mean, Mike, were you just independently wealthy at the time? Did you just have like unlimited no. funds that you could buy these properties no, no, cash, no. fix them up with your own cash, spend 20 grand a month on marketing? Like, where did you get all this money? Yeah. I mean, here's the reality is we left corporate America. We had done well there. We probably had 150, 200,000 in savings, right? And that was it. We were just like all in, like that was our nest egg. And so we could have burned, I mean, we were burning, certainly burning through it for several months, right? But I think at the time that we kind of levered up, we had done several deals. We're starting to make some money and just plowing it all back into the business. So, you know, we had a small window there. We just squeezed everything through it that we could. Did you raise funds? And then, oh, so one other thing, we we had like a friend of a friend that knew somebody at a local smaller bank that they really funded builders. They didn't really work with investors. But we kind of built out a portfolio. We're showing them like, here's a house, pictures of a house we flipped, what we bought it for. And they were just like blown away with like, how do you buy them so cheap, you know? And it's like, well, that's our model. They just, you know, people, that's kind of alien to people unless they're in the business. Like, how do you get a house for 30, 40 cents on the dollar? I mean, part of it is it's a wreck. So we got in at a time where not a lot of people were lending. We did get access to a local bank that was willing, that gave us like a couple million dollar line of credit. And they were willing to fund 100%. Because we were buying them so cheap, right? right? So they they kind of understood that they didn't have a, a whole lot of risk there. And so you, that was the key, that- was getting access to some capital because we were primarily rehabbing and just understanding that advertising, for us, paid advertising really is the key to scaling. Do you think you would have gotten that line of credit if you just went in with no experience? Did you have to have the experience of finding some of these deals first? I bet at that time we'd only done like 10, 10 or 12 deals. Right. Um, so not, not a ton, but you know, I don't even remember if this was our idea or somebody told us, we literally created a binder with like picture, you know, our bios, pictures of like houses we've done, the financials, a P and L on each one. And so we, we had a story to tell, like it was just walking in and, and saying, Hey, can we talk to a banker? Like wouldn't get you there, but being able to show, you know, like you probably dealt with this in your modeling days. You had like a portfolio of uh, your pictures and the jobs you've done now. But seriously, we had a we, we had a portfolio because we knew that that would stand out to somebody walking in a bank at that time because nobody else was probably doing that. And you were going direct to property owners to find your deals. You're not buying like the bank owned yep. properties or you're not doing nope. buying the short sales. You were going direct to the property. I've owners. never done a single short sale. I've never done a single short sale. 
Uh, we did buy some bank-owned properties. We got a connection at one point that would kind of feed us some deals that we would get um, probably uh, you know pretty good price on ultimately. But we were direct to seller marketing from from day one. Awesome. And then I bought two house out of hundreds. I bought like two or three off the MLS because we tried for a while, like, let's just go make a crap load of offers and try to get deals. And we kind of built a process when, when my buyers or my acquisitions guys are out on appointments, like, Hey, look at all the comps in the area and find the ones that look like they're underpriced. And like, let's make offers on all of them. And we kind of built a process, but we got like three deals in a very short period of time. And we, we put in like, we must've put in a thousand offers to get three deals. And they weren't our best deals. Like one of them we got stuck with as a rental. It just wasn't a very good one. And the other ones we sold, but they were they were small profit ones. But uh, it's pretty much all been direct to seller marketing. Or as the years went by, I started to do a lot of stuff through relationships, like through kind of students or people I was mentoring, like partnering on, on deals as well. I love it. So talk to me about that. What What's working now? And what have you seen kind of evolve since 2000? I mean, you've been doing marketing since 2008. You've got the investor machine. So you do a lot of marketing for a lot of other investors around the country. By the way, guys, Mike has an incredible event, uh, Investor Fuel Live. It's in Dallas. It's in September. And it is one of two times that I'm traveling this year to speak on stage. And uh, that's that's how great this event is going to be. Mike, give us a little bit of insight there, and then I want to get back into marketing and what's working and yeah. practices. Yeah, Investor Fuel Live, I've just rebranded it. for the, This is our fifth year, but for the past four years, it's been called Million Dollar Meeting. So kind of rebranded it as Investor Fuel Live. I also run the Investor Fuel Mastermind, which we have a couple hundred professional investors that are members there. We're actually coming up on our six-year anniversary. And um, this event really is the one time it's kind of open to the public where we sell tickets to people to come to an event and it's a little bit of a different format. It's really a speaker series where we have, I think we have about 22 uh, speakers, including you, Brent, that are going to come share in about 30 minutes, share your very best advice on one area of scaling. Could be sales and marketing, could be relationships, could be business processes, building your team, things like that. So yeah, so we we whipped up, a, I actually have a link for your audience that will get people in a general admission ticket for We've never sold tickets this cheap before. They used to only be three three thousand bucks for a ticket for this uh, three day event, and now we have general admission for fourteen ninety seven. But for your audience, we're going to offer the opportunity to get it for ninety seven bucks. So uh, ninety seven dollars if you go to investorfuel.com slash Brent, that'll uh, redirect you, and you can get a ticket for ninety seven bucks. As of the time I'm saying this, uh, we will start to raise prices here pretty soon. But folks should jump on that opportunity. We get a couple hundred people there. Uh, it's an amazing, we bought, by the way, we have a VIP ticket too. I think they're like, if you use that link, they're like 80% off right now. So that's the best one. Cause we go to dinners and network and stuff like that. It, it really is an outstanding event. I mean, it's not, it's not a pitch fest. It really is an opportunity for people to come scale and take their business to the next level. So, so what's working right now? I mean, you, how much, well, let's start with this because that's kind of like a broad question. I want to get nitty gritty. How much are you spending on yours and everybody else's marketing that's going out right now, just to give everybody perspective of what you're seeing out there. How yeah. much do you think you're spending a month? It's pulled back a little bit since uh, the market kind of downturned, but you know, up until about last fall, we were managing about two million a month for other investors. So primarily direct mail and data, and we're actually on the verge of launching pay per click SEO, lots of other uh, channels as well through the investor machine. But let, let me let me take a step back and kind of, because I think sometimes um, when you talked about like playing, we talked about kind of playing the long game. For me, 
I don't want people that are listening, depending on where you are in your business, to get distracted and say, because sometimes you look at you or me and say, this guy's got like six or eight businesses. Like, I want to do that too. And and here's what I'll say is none of this was really planned for me. Like I was just a real estate investor. And then along the way, we're like, we should probably keep some of these as rentals because we want to build, we want mailbox money. It's never quite worked out that way. Like they've never cash flowed as well as you would like, but the equity appreciation has been insane. Yep. There's no doubt about it, but I didn't count on that, uh, but it's been real. So all of a sudden we have a rental company, right? Then some people start asking me like, hey, can you show me what you're doing? And I'm like, I'll show you what I'm doing. And then it got formalized. And then I'm now I'm in the coaching business, right? And as time went by, things just started to kind of bolt on. And it was like a natural fit. It just made sense at the time. So um, I didn't try to go into coaching. I just realized there's an opportunity. And you get to a point where just like you, you like to share, you like to help people, you want to impact the world. And that's one way I could do it, right? And as time went by, I started the Flip Nerd podcast. Uh, actually, we're coming up. Christmas will be our 10-year anniversary. At the time I started that that podcast, which we've had several podcasts now, I was one of six real estate podcasts in the whole country. Like literally there were six. It was Joe McCall, Matt Terrio, uh, Jason Hartman had a couple, uh, a few others. I'm missing a couple. Uh, Sean Terry had his obviously like that, right? And, and it was, and now there's hundreds or thousands. I don't even know. But I didn't know where I was going with that. Part of it was like just wanting to chat to other people because I was so local. I was like, hey, how do I get out? and start to meet people uh, nationally. And then that turned into the Investor Fuel Mastermind because I'm like interviewing experts, people like you, pros, people that I that I respect. I love to get around, you know, this time we're interviewing in a podcast like is never enough, right? Like we used to get off the podcast and still talk for like an hour, like what's working with you? And like back when I started 10 years ago, I'm gonna sound like an old man, but just social media wasn't as prevalent, right? So you didn't see what was going on with everybody unless you had a conversation with them. And we did that via the podcast. And then I was like, Hey, how can I hang out with these people more? And that's really how the uh, mastermind started was like 20 of us in a room. And we had our last event last week and there were 200 of us there. Right. And so, uh, and then along the ways, like the most common question always is like, what's working now in lead generation? Like, what do I do for Legion? What's the best list to mail to? Like all those questions over and over and over again. And at some point I just said, you know what, I'm going to do this for people because it's the most common question I get. And a lot of people come to me because one reason or another, I've become an expert in lead gen and my partner, Jason uh, Lewis and Investor Machine. And we just said, let's do this for other people. And we're actually, uh, as literally as we speak right now, we're our four-year anniversary for Investor Machine. And so, and that's evolved tremendously over four years. Like we have this kind of 1% better everyday mindset of like, how do we get better? How do we get better? How can we help our customers more? What can we do that's better, 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 better? And it just keeps getting better all the time. And so your question was, what's working now in lead gen? And just wanted to give some perspective on like how that came about, right? The reality is, is I understand when a lot of people are getting started and there's people that are scaled up that are still doing a lot of texting and cold calling. At some point early in your career, you have to decide, do I have more time or money, right? If you have more time than money, you need to spend that time generating leads and doing whatever you have to do to get your business off the ground. At some point for veteran real estate investors, they realize that that's just not scalable anymore uh, or harder to scale. And so paid advertising is typically the path. And so we know just through our research that the margins on inbound lead generation from paid advertising, typically mail, pay-per-click, SEO, is typically two to 300% higher of an ROI than outbound. And there's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, the biggest is that people that reach out to you 
have essentially raised their hand to say, I'm interested in this, right? Versus outbound is you're, you're interrupting people's day to try to see if they might be interested in selling. And you tend to attract a lot of people that are more of a retail type deal and you might be able to make it work. But, you know, inbound marketing is definitely more expensive. But, you know, if the ROI is two or three times higher, it offsets that marketing cost if you do it consistently, right? So especially now with some of the ability to target distress, which is what we do at Investor Machine, we have a whole army of data miners that are pulling distress information in their market about like who is distressed, who recently got divorced, who filed probate. And we're taking all that and putting it into software that's telling us who to who to market to for our customers. So, you know, at the end of the day, no matter what happens in this market cycle or any cycle, there's always distress, right? Like we don't wish this on anybody, but there's people dying, there's death, there's inheritances, there's problem rentals, people tearing up rental properties. I mean, one in three houses in America is a rental property, right? And there's a whole bunch of tenants that are tearing those things up all the time. And I have some and I know I hate it, right? But I'm not motivated enough to sell them, even though I think about it periodically. But uh, I also say that of a third of the houses in America that are rentals, the biggest class that owns those is not the hedge funds. It's not the big buyers. It's a whole bunch of people that own one. Mm -hmm. And then there's a bunch of others that own two and that's it. And they usually inherited it or they got married and they kept one as a rental. I mean, that is like literally like 90% of the rentals in America is somebody that owns one or two. Right. And for those of you that own one or two, it's good when it's good, right? When you're getting the money every month and it works. And when you have to go in and out of nowhere, unexpectedly do like a $30,000 make ready, you're like, you know, for some people, they're like, F this, like this thing's got to go, you know? Mm -hmm. And so my point is, is even though inventory is constrained right now in this market, a lot of that is retail inventory, but people are still dying. They still have death, inheritance issues, downsizing, whatever, right? And so those issues are going to exist in every market, no matter what. And that's why us as real estate investors can always serve that need to help those people. Yeah. It's a conveyor belt. So there's yeah. more opportunities it's never than gonna, there are us. Yeah, for sure. And back to what we talked about earlier, you know, what's happened in the past year is there's a whole bunch of people that were real estate investors that when it got hard, they left. So for those that are still playing the game right now, and I'm seeing this huge divide, I, I have a mastermind. I mean, I have the benefit of serving hundreds of customers for real estate, for investor machine, for their uh, marketing and a couple hundred professional investors through my mastermind. And there's this huge divide of, and I'll just tell you where we are right now. There is a ton of people that are saying they're having their best year ever right now. And then there's people that are that are having their worst year ever, like they're they're out of business and they've left. There's this huge divide, right? And why is that? Well, I mean, there's a lot of reasons, but it's the people that don't give up when it gets hard. They just find a way around it. It doesn't mean they don't have a bad quarter or two or didn't have some wounds to lick, but they knew if they played the long game that the opportunity is going to come around because that's just how this business and every business works. I mean, for those that jump into real estate because it looks sexy right now, and they're like, oh, now I'm going to go on and build an Amazon store. Hey, crypto looks awesome. Like everything gets hard at some point. Everything is hard at the beginning. And so if you jump to something easier all the time, that thing will get hard as well at some point. So why not stick with something that's tried and true? I love it. I wrote down attitude, approach, and expectations right? What's the attitude that you have towards the market? What do you have? What's the attitude towards your market? What's your attitude towards your schedule? What's the attitude towards real estate investing? What's your attitude towards wholesaling? What's your attitude towards your being proactive? I wrote that down. Uh, your approach, you got to pick one lane, 
pick one way that you're going to generate leads. If you're starting out and you have more time than money, you have to be proactive. I would encourage people to be more proactive, even if you did have the budget, because the more conversations that you have about real estate with distressed property owners, the better you're going to actually be when you turn on your marketing machine. Don't get it. Don't, yeah, don't no get doubt. it twisted. You need to be able to effectively communicate with people, whether you're calling them or they're calling you. That's an absolute fact. And then expectations, the expectation is you're tracking your numbers. You understand your real business. You can see what is the return that I'm getting so that you can make really smart business decisions based on the expectations you have. And the other thing I wrote down is skills. What you're talking about, the reason there's such a divide is there are people that have decided, you know what, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to put the hard work in. I'm going to I'm gonna build the actual skills of converting these leads into signed agreements. I'm going to go and build the skills of evaluating property so that I know what price are. I'm going to build the skills of recognizing potential in these opportunities that I'm looking at. That's really the difference between the people that are just like, you know what, I'm going to just throw some stuff out there, hopefully make some money and it's going to all work out. You focus on building your skills as something that nobody can take away from you. Whether you go through yeah. you know, something terrible, whether you go through a bankruptcy, whether you go through a health scare, whether you, whatever, you go through a divorce, you go through some of these really dramatic life experiences. If you have the skills, you can bounce back. If you don't, it's not going to happen. I honestly think the best skill that anybody could ever build, the top two are the ability to sell yep. the ability to talk to people yep. and build relationships with people. Because whether you're in, we're all in sales on one level or another, whether you're talking directly to a seller or you're selling your team on how to operate at a higher level. Right. And then the second is, is really the ability to recruit and retain people because yep. it's hard. I mean, it's hard. And I'm, I've been pretty public about it. I, I don't think I'm the best uh, manager because I, I just am not, I like, I expect people to do what they said they would do. And not everybody does that. And it drives me nuts a little bit. But I think the ability to build sales skills, and I, and I want to say, I'm never saying that people shouldn't cold call or text message market. I think where some people get into trouble is they try, like, as you know, the data is critical. Like, not all data is equal, right? If you're the type of person that's like, I'm going to try to do five deals a month from cold calling, and your next breath, you say, who has the cheapest skip tracing or the cheap, cheapest data? It's like, that's ridiculous, yeah. you know? Uh, it's ridiculous. So. I think just like everything, there's if you take the cream off the top and you're getting the best data, you're stacking your list, you're managing your list really well in your data, or you're using a provider that that provides that, and take that cream off the top, like you could do really well. But when you try to scale it to like I'm going to buy every number in my in my whole county, that at some point you're kind of hitting your head against the wall. And unfortunately, most people treat the bottom of the list and the top of the list the same. Yeah. They just upload them in a dialer and kind of call them all the same. Yeah. And so, kind of data management is a really important part to that as well. Oh, absolutely. The other thing that I wanted to mention is there's a slippery slope that happens with almost, I would say 99% of the entrepreneurs that I talk to. And that's this, you start making money, you start making more money than you ever have. And then you don't take it home because your financial thermostat is set so low, it scares you to take money home. You're right. It's not the profit first where it's the income minus the profit. 
that you want to take home equals your expenses. It's the income minus the expenses equals your profit, the classic. But I'm telling you, if you can really dial in and really advance and push up your financial thermostat to take the money home, that's the point of this. We use this business as a cash machine to take the money home and then invest in assets. First, we pay off all our consumer debt, and then we invest in assets. And that's how we really build wealth. That's what it's all about. What I see, Mike, and I'm sure that you're you're familiar with this, is I'm making some money here. I'm going to go reinvest it in my business and start spending a ridiculous amount on marketing. And then all of a sudden, you don't have the systems in place. You don't have the personnel in place. You don't have your schedule in place. Things slip through the cracks and you don't take any money home. You look up at the end of the year and you made the same amount of money you made at a job. It's ridiculous. Stop it. Take the money home. Take the money home. Be proactive. Take the money home. Pay off your pay off your debts. Start getting into a good place. Make sure you have a minimum standard for what you make. I tell everybody in the Rhino Tribe, I want a minimum standard of take home twenty thousand dollars for you and your family a month minimum before you start getting into all these crazy different strategies, before you go and start buying rentals, before you go and start doing these creative deals, before you start spending more and more and more on your marketing. It makes no sense. Get established first, build a real business, and then go bananas with your marketing. That's where I see so many people, Mike, go back to their nine to five jobs after being able to fire their boss because their financial thermostat is set so low that they throw all their money into reinvesting in the business and it doesn't go anywhere. The systems aren't set up and then they're 90 days away from, from going back to the workforce. And so it's just a, yeah, I've talked about this. I I was talking about this, I think, uh, at my mastermind last week or somewhere, I don't know. There's a lot of people that built their business on, you know, in the last market cycle that might have, and every, every up cycle on quicksand, right? They don't have that foundation set. And that's why you see some people that are doing really well and then they disappear. It's like, they didn't have that foundation set. Right. And I think that there's a lot of, you know, unfortunately there's a lot of, um, in this industry, there's a lot of pressure to beat your chest a little bit and brag on your success. But, you know, there's people that I know that I've known personally over the years that I know are good people. They built their business on a, on a shaky foundation on social media. It looks like everything's awesome, but I know more, right? You know, you know, kind of the, the backstory there. And so we're speaking from the same uh, playbook here, right? As we talk a lot about getting those systems and processes right and building your team out and, you know, not all the reinvesting in your business is, is around marketing necessarily. It's, it's kind of, you know, using uh, the cash flow quadrant, Kiyosaki's model is like moving from that self-employed to more of a business owner yep. where you have a team that's kind of handling your process and systems and then eventually getting to the I box if you can, or using the other investments for that. But you have to kind of build up that foundation. Otherwise, when the market shifts like it has, there's some people that back to that divide of people that are doing really well and those that didn't, you know, a lot of those that didn't, they just didn't have that foundation set where they could financially withstand a storm. And even team-wise, like if you're paying everybody as independent contractors and then all of a sudden one month people have a bad month, they're not getting paid, they're gone. Like they're, they're not going to wait around for yep. you. They're moving on to the next thing, right? And so it's really having that solid foundation in your business with your team, your culture, your processes, and your systems. Because if you think of that as like the race car, uh, if you don't have that thing built right, you can dump in all the gas you want, but if your wheels are falling off, it doesn't really matter how good the gas is, right? <laughs> yeah, and and really watch that. Really watch the the social media. Like that's not 
that's not real yeah. life. I remember Todd Toback yeah. in 2016, Mike, he called me up and he was talking about this TTP thing and how I was getting deals from cold calling. And he goes, listen, this is my default. Whatever you say you make, I'm going to cut it in half. I'm going to cut it in half again, and then I'm going to multiply it by 10%. And that's what I really think you're taking home. And I go, okay, well, I don't really need to convince you of what I'm doing here, but you know, uh, yeah. I think it'll work for you if, if you have people reach out. But that's the default on a lot of things. When you see these big numbers and everything there, uh, I always think 50%, 50%, then 10% of that 50% is what people take home. And it's a shame. It's an absolute shame. People have multi-million dollar businesses and take home less than a waiter at a fancy restaurant. It's the absolute truth. And, and it's, a, it's too much stress. If you build it right and you get really top tier people on your team, you can build a long lasting profitable business that gives you a 40 to 50% net net bottom line to you. And if you build it right, but if you try to build it too fast, if you try to scale too fast, and if your financial thermostat is not set way high, and the best way to set your financial thermostat way high, because we're all we're we're all plagued, right, with our with our past and our upbringing, and and maybe it's our religion, or maybe it's something in there that 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 talks about uh, money and talks about whether it's good or bad or whatever. There's always some things that are there's some rust on our brain that that needs to be you know WD forty so to speak, and the best way to do that is to be around people doing way more than you. People doing yeah. way more than you. People that have a way higher thermostat and it's going to raise you up. That's the best way to do it. And then that's that's essentially what you've done in your mastermind. I just wrote a post about this literally today on Facebook. I wrote a post about how everything is hard before it gets easy. And there's a lot of people that just, if you think of like your career as, as a stair, stair step, right? Is there's a lot of people that get on the first or second stair and they're afraid to go up any higher and they just stop. And it could be not willing to invest. It could be, like you said, they don't believe it's possible, right? And if you get a coach, you get in a, a mastermind, you get in a group and you and you surround yourself with people that have not only done it before, but are doing it at a higher level than you, then a lot of times you'll look at those folks and just say, that guy's no better than me. And they figured it out, right? Yep. So in your mind, you start to condition your mind that this is possible, so there's tons of people in my investor fuel mastermind. I'm sure tons of people that have gone through your coaching that has a hang up on like where they could get. And they've gone up five, 10 X higher than that, just because they got in the room with people that were making it more simple and basically light hand holding, you know, not doing it for you ever, but just like, here's what's possible. Here's how I did it. And I think a lot of times people get that kind of three feet from gold, right? Yep. They're like right there. And they just like in their mind, they just can't push forward. They just give up and they're so close, right? And so I think that's what separates winners from losers is that the winners keep pushing forward because they know what's possible. They know what they're capable of. They're just more confident in what they do. Even if there's a bunch of stuff that's unknown, they know if I keep pushing, I'm going to seek, I'm going to get the success that I, that I want or that's possible. And then there's some people that are just, I mean, okay, making just a little bit over what they made in their corporate job. And then they have supposedly have more freedom, but they really do have a job. Like they're in the self-employed box. If you're doing, honestly, if you're doing less than two or three deals a month, and I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. I've known people that do one flip a month, you know, and they're in a market where they make half a million dollars a year and there's nothing wrong with that. Right. But I think uh, if you're for the most part in most markets, if you're doing a deal or two a month, the job owns you, like you're, you're on call, like you're waiting for that phone to ring you got to go on appointments yourself. You're checking on your rehabs yourself. You're having to do everything yourself. And, 
you know, when I talk a lot about scale, I don't talk about scaling for, for the case of like, Hey, you can move up from your Hyundai and get a Lambo. Like that's not it. It's like buy your time back, like get enough dry powder to build the team, to have a real business that allows you to go on vacation and do the things you want with your family and kind of buy that time back. Right. I love it. Mike, thank you so much for spending time with us here in the Wholesaling yeah, Podcast. Thank you. Thanks, brother. And listen, guys, it would mean the world to us if you will go on to Spotify or iTunes and just like and review this podcast. It really helps us out, really helps expand uh, our incredible reach so that people can really find the right instruction to go out there and do amazing things and, and bring them in to the tribe that we have so that you can connect and squad up with incredible people. So if you can spend the 30 seconds it takes to go and like and review and remember, you can always go to wholesalinginc.com and register for the Academy. It's absolutely complimentary and it has incredible downloads and guides and resources and training there. So you can check that all out wholesalinginc.com. That is it for our show today. Thanks again to Mike Ambright, Investor Fuel, Investor Machine, Flip Nerd Podcast. He's absolutely one of the best of the best. I remember listening to him when he was only one of the, the six podcasts out there. I listened to this podcast with Tom Kroll hosting, and I listened to Mike Ambright with Flip Nerd, and I learned so much, so incredibly much. So definitely check that out as well. I love you guys. I encourage you to go out there and talk to people. Till next time. See ya. That's all for this episode. Your next step to success is to continue the conversation over at wholesalinginc.com by joining the mailing list as well as get your chance to book a strategy session to learn the systems and become part of the tribe and work personally with one of our amazing coaches. We'll see you next episode with more ways to make you a fortune in wholesaling.